0: all right everyone good evening good evening we're back with a new Torah as we've received the Torah all new again Um today's class tonight's class was dedicated by Yaakov Jacobson this is in honor of his grandmother's Yurtsat, which was today the eighth day of Sivan Pesel Bas Yaakov may her neshama have an awesome great aliyah she channel lots of brachas Lots of blessings to you, Yaakov, and your family, and your mom, and dad, and extended family, um, for only the best and the best, the Jacobsons, Leah Jacobson, her family, only big, big, big brachas. Um, Okay. We're ready to start. As I mentioned, uh, today is we are now right after shavuos it's Yisrochag, which means a night a day after shavuos and um the parsha this week is parsha naso over here in, in uh, the diaspora in israel it's already the next parsha maloisro which when you kindle the lamps but this in in um in the diaspora the 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 parsha the torah portion this week is called naso Esrosh, which is talking about counting the levites but the words that are in the opening verse is Nasei Esrosh. Nasei means lifting the head. That means it's a head lift. So how do you get a head lift? Again, on a simple level it means to count, but on a deeper level it means to lift our head. Now we understand how we have a head lift. Because we just received the Torah this week. And when we receive the Torah, the divine, the divine mind is channeled down to us. Of course that gives us a head lift. It lifts us up unimaginably, and being that every year we receive a whole new level of Torah, so by that happening, um, we have an enormous head lift. So, as much as we study Torah and as much as we experience Torah past year, uh, this year, which means when I say this year, we mean from now and onward. It's a, it's it's a, it's a it's you know it's exponentially greater why because by Torah the main thing is the divine the godliness has to open up to read the words and you can be stuck in such narrowness and such superficial reading such external a- aspect of it because the Torah is infinite and boundless and level and level and level yesterday we had an event here honoring the holy Baal and I read a piece to the audience, I read them a piece from the quote from the Holy Baal Shem Tov, founder of the Hasidic Movement, where he writes that in every letter of Torah, there's three levels. There is worlds. Every letter contains worlds, entire worlds, which means galaxies and big spiritual worlds. And beyond that souls. Souls are far greater than worlds. Uh, souls are, are meant to mediate the divine into the world, so they're higher than the worlds so on every letter of torah is hinged and connected to and it 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 that letter is the is the condensation of worlds and souls and higher than that divinity and when we read the letters properly then we enter into those spiritual worlds and then we from the worlds we tap the souls and from the souls we tap the divine and that's why we were supposed to learn with such awe and such excitement and such joy. We're supposed to literally kiss the letters one after another because we're dealing with something so So, The question is, how much do we merit that it opens up to us? How much do we really experience the divine aspect of it or the soul element or the spiritual worlds that are in the Torah? Or are we just reading it and that with our human chunky minds and grasping it in such a thick, dense way, um so for that you need the gift of god that's why we're supposed to make a blessing when we before we learn torah we make a blessing what's blessing a blessing means to draw hashem into the torah so every year shavuot on the holiday of Shavuot hashem gives us the torah from new and but the problem is uh, we sometimes you know can you know put our human fingerprints on it and kind of like you know course in it but the good part is today is just a day after shavuos so we haven't had any time for us to grubby it up so now we have the, the the ability to leave the torah a little bit to try to access the torah instead of trying to draw the torah down we should try to lift ourselves up into the mind of our creator into the infinite so as great as the torah download from year to year happens And we experience what we just mentioned, the Nasayas Rosh, the lifting of the head. The ultimate lifting of the head is going to be in the Messianic era, because we know that one of the great aspects of the coming of Mashiach, which we're always talking about over here, is that that's when we are going to, our main occupation is going to be Torah study. All the time two things are going to change. Number one, now most of our resources are related to you know, earning a living, taking care of our, just maintaining our physical well-being to be alive, which involves all the stuff, all the chores and activities that we do. And if we have some time, we devote to Torah study. And there are those lucky Jews who have devoted their entire being to Torah study and study Torah all day long and that's very special. They're elevated human beings by by engaging and interacting with the divine every minute of the day. That's what Torah is. Torah is divine. So the main difference in the time of Mashiach is that we are not going to be so busy anymore because Rambam describes that in the days of Mashiach, God is going to free us up from all of our busyness because there's going to be such abundance and goodness and such plentifulness and I guess today's days we can understand that things are going to be reach such a level of automation that all the chores like even today, you know, so I, I, I always shop for the shul over here. I have to shop. So I always use I, uh, Instacart, you know, I sit over here and make my orders. They come, they deliver it. It's a flight up and I always have to schlep bottles of waters. We have to always keep, bring the cases up. Now we always have people bringing it. Push of a buck to cost a little extra. But the time that you save from having to get into the car, go to the market, shop and do all that stuff. So imagine a world that, uh, is, where technology is going to increase a millionfold, because Mashiach just advances the world in all sciences, in all aspects. as as a consequence of the divine knowledge, of the influx in divine knowledge, then all other wisdoms are going to be increased. So all these things that occupy time, which humans are busy doing, we're not going to have to do because we're going to have it all systemized. And the only thing left for us to do is going to be to pursue knowledge. We're going to study Torah. No headaches, no illness, no disease, no competition, at least not in the realm of materialism. So we're going to learn a lot of Torah. So obviously, we understand that our level of Torah study is going to skyrocket. Like as much as we've, if you look at, for instance, uh, the history of the world, you see, you know, the levels of various different progression, and as they've been making way, you know, and you watch these, you watch these charts. And then you look at the last um, century, you see like the, the amount of how things like the charts go, or you always say off the charts, they go so high. Talking about good things. Um, because of um, the, the advance, which started mainly in the industrial revolution and all these, uh, uh, you know, once these discoveries are made and then the, the explosions of, of innovation you know, Scott, go go higher and higher and higher. So obviously the same is going to be with the Torah, but on a much higher level. And at that time, so our knowledge of Torah, simply because of the time that we're going to have, in addition to that, um, we're going to study on a level where now the primary element of Torah study is to fix the world. When we study the Torah, we do a repair. We separate good from evil. And all the study of, of various, of, of, of technical law, Talmudic study, which most of the people who study Torah all day long, that's what they do. They, they learn and they study and they differentiate between permitted and not permitted and all these various different things, kosher and not kosher um, pure and impure, guilty and innocent, and the various different things. These are all um, a way in which we, re, we, we do repair in the world. But above, but after Mashiach comes, we've already separated the good from the bad. The evil has already been separated from the good and extracted. So the world is just going to, whatever is going to be in the world is just going to be goodness. No more evil. No more extraction. So now our study of Torah is going to be on a whole different level. It's really going to be to get to know the divine. So we're really going to start experiencing pure divinity, the divine side of the Torah. Um, and that's the nasa rosh that's the lifting of our heads this week it's amazing how hashem made that the shabbos after shavuos we always read this portion most of the time um not rosh lift the head because this is our li- this is our lifting of the head and we ought to start getting ready for the to- for the advanced torah study of the future this is all preliminary now we go to something which is mind-blowing And that is, in Isaiah, and Yeshaya. it actually says that when Mashiach will come, there will be new Torah. So till now we understood that we are just going to study Torah on a higher level. There is the old Torah, the ancient Torah that was given at Sinai, and we're just going to learn it and probe it deeper, number one, because we're not going to have any distractions, and number two, because the more external element of the Torah of fixing the world we're done with, and now we're going to get into the deeper part of the Torah. But that's all those changes are just on our end. But we're learning what we're going to find out now, that when Mashiach comes, it's God will like give us the Torah a second time. That does not mean that he's going to give a new Torah. One of the principles of Torah is, that Zos Torah lay Mechalef, that's the Torah, Maimonides puts one of the fundamental principles of Judaism, that our Torah can never and will never be changed. So we're always going to study the five books of Torah. We're always going to read the, the the ancient Torah. But we are going to experience new divine revelation in opening up this book and squeezing out its fountains of wisdom, unlocking its fountains of wisdom that till now no mind, no one at all, no, no scholar, no mystic, no saint, no one has ever, reached and touched such even come close to the levels of wisdom that are going to flow forth it's so high and so deep that it can only be studied from one teacher only the only one and, and the and only teacher can teach us Torah on that level and that is God himself so God is going to teach Torah but his mouth his vocal his his channel through where he's going to teach Torah is that he's going to channel it to Moshiach and Mashiach is going to be the one who is going to bring us the word of God again the same Torah of Moshe but on a level that no one ever studied it before so where do we know this idea it says this is in, in Isaiah in chapter 51 verse number two, 4 Perek nun Aleph Hakshivu ami. Listen to me, people. God says, and my nation, elai to me hazinu." Pay attention. because Torah will come forth from me. and my law to the to illuminate the nations. I will place. I will place a law down to illuminate the nations. So we're talking about a universal revelation. The Torah will come forth from Hashem. So this doesn't just mean that the people in the world will pay attention now. Till now they weren't paying attention. It's the same Torah of Sinai. And now everybody will just be paying attention. It means more than that. It actually means that there will be new, new divine revelation and that's the Torah meiti Now, where do we know that that God is going to communicate again and teach us Torah on a much, much higher level? So, you'll just excuse me for a moment. Then I'm going to go get the book. I I was thinking to get it before, and I just the last minute forgot. So, this is in songs in, in Song of Songs in Shira Shirim in the very second verse. Let me bring it over here. The apostle says, God will kiss us from the kiss of his mouth. Because your love, we are, we are the, the Jewish people are speaking of the love. We reminisce of the love that we once had. We are yearning for that deep connection to God. We're saying, Your love is more precious than fine wines. So the, the Rashi, the great commentator of the Chumash, translates, What does this mean? We want to kiss. He says the kiss is the transmission of the deepest when a person kisses someone on the lips. So then they are literally locking their lips together and they're becoming one flow of oxygen. Which means the inner world of one is being transmitted to the next. And why the kiss more than words, communication through words, I can say I love you very much. Because words always limit, words are are containers. So if you're putting a message through words... You're 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 diminishing the power of it dramatically. Uh, the best way we communicate is through words. We have no choice, but it's already weakening it. Um, the kiss means I'm I, I, my my energy and my desire to to bond with you, my love for you, to to share myself and unify with your soul, with your inner being is so deep that words that I want to communicate it. It's just not. It's not. I can't communicate that. I, I can just. I just want to give you my entire soul, so my breath of life, my very oxygen, my very being. And that's the kiss where the where the, the connection is happening of ear to ear, spirit to spirit, soul to soul. That's the deeper meaning of the kiss. So when did we have such an experience? By the giving of the Torah. It wasn't cold words, it wasn't 10 commandments that God gave us, just the words, letters, just, guess, just a document, information, knowledge. It was a deep kiss. God was communicating His inner self. He was transmitting Himself into us. That's the meaning of Anochi. I am your God. I, I, I am giving myself through through the Ten Commandments. Through this, that's why it's called a kiss. So, but what were we saying? We want to kiss again. We remember the kiss we had at three thousand three hundred years ago and thirty three years ago. But that kiss was so powerful, so strong, and we, it was so intense that we all passed away. As this, as we know that the Jews at Sinai all expired, the ecstasy and the bliss and the intensity of the experience was just too much for a physical body to handle, so they died. But this wasn't death. This was the kiss of life. This was the souls were rejoined in the infinite in the infinite source. There's there's absolutely no 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 greater blessing than this. What a way to go, if you say. But on the other hand, the purpose of life is in a body. So then God reinstated the souls into the body through the do, the special do that is going to resurrect the dead in the end of days. They experienced already that do coming down and, and, and bringing their souls down back into their bodies. And this happened 10 times by every one of the commandments they passed out and then they have to be restored to life again. So that was the kiss. So we remember how unbelievable sweet that was. It's there and embedded in our subconscious. And we are crying. So Rashi says that this is the cry that we have, especially during the exile. When we're so disconnected, when we're so removed, when we're so far, when we feel so alienated, we feel so uninspired and and, and not spiritual. We're so materialistic. So even maybe if we don't have a quest for the divine, but we would wish that we would want to want to be spiritual. We would want to yearn for this closeness. And that's the, that's the cry. We're crying for the kiss. But Rashi explains that, uh, hear these words. Um, and those, that love that we, that we experienced at Sinai, is still so sweet upon the Jewish people. We call Shashuya, more than any other delight. And that's what we're saying, better than wines. Wines are delightful. More than all the, the, the pleasure that we can have from wine. And wine represents the just the general idea of, of pleasure, of worldly pleasure. But we recognize that this pleasure and this delight, you, you know, far exceeds any other pleasure. And here's the promise. We are promised. That Hashem will appear to us again. And he's going to reveal to us the secrets of the reasons of the Torah. And the inner hidden mysteries of the Torah. So the first time around, we got got the body of the Torah. And some of the soul of the Torah was revealed in the body. But most of the soul of the Torah, which is its divine side and its infinite, deeper, godly meaning, remained above and beyond our experience and our minds and our consciousness. So that's what we're promised, that we're going to have a second round. We're going to have the giving of the Torah a second time. Same Torah, but this time God will unlock it. He will open up these zip files. He will open them up and it will allow the infinite light of the Torah to shine and to dazzle our souls. And this is what we're requesting. We want God to keep his word. This is the request. Kiss us with the kiss of your mouth. So here we see that we are to expect in the Messianic age, which is upon us, an incredible infusion and an illumination and an enlightenment. One that is beyond. That's what Maimonides describes when Maimonides describes the time of Mashiach, he describes it as a time of pure ecstasy, of bliss, of coming to study, learning Torah on the highest level. And he says that Mashiach is going to be the wisest of all people, way beyond even King Solomon, who's, who till now has the record of being the wisest of all men. And Mashiach will exceed King Solomon in wisdom, and he will be a prophet. Almost matching Moshe, a little less than Moses, but a little. And through that he will he will receive divine revelation, and that revelation will what what will his what is Mashiach's primary business? He will be the master teacher. He will teach the world the Torah, but as the Torah has never been seen before. Okay, according to this, the Torah Chadasha, the new Torah that we're going to get in the times of Mashiach, is purely a deeper revelation of the esoteric mystical godlier side of the torah but in terms of the body of the torah the structure of the law that will not change that's what we would that's what we would think but here i'm going to read to you an astounding midrash the midrash is in parsha shemini this is a midrash rabba. It's called Vayikra Rabba in the thirteenth parashah Yud Gimel, and by me in this midrash that I am holding, it's it's Sif Gimel, which means it's the third passage of chapter thirteen in the third book. Everything threes again are lining up. You know, I get excited about that. Okay, so what does it say over here? It's talking about kosher and non-kosher animals, and it says. Um, Rebbe Reb Yudon, the son of Shimon, says, Interesting Russian, oh, The bottom says, you you, you omit the word call. Okay, it didn't make any sense to me, so he's right. He brings over here in the bottom, one of the great commentators, that the word call is omitted. It was just a print mistake. Beheymoyz and kenugin Sadikim tzaddikim la'asad lavai. That the animal and the Leviathan are going to be the kinnigon, they're going to be the the competition and the entertainment of the righteous in the future. What is this referring to? So Sometimes there are like, you know, people like to watch animals battling with each other, like various different conferences, like people watch, you know, boxing matches. Those are humans, humans confronting each other. In some kind of a some kind of a competitive a competitive combat i think we should pick that up the the thing because thank you no the, the one go ah oh, there you go thanks so um so sometimes, you know, there's like a boxing match. There's a wrestling match. Um, and they used to have, uh, for entertainment, various different animals that would go into stadiums, a lion against a bear, and they would fight it out, and the people wouldn't get entertainment from it. So it says that in the future, there is going to be this kind of a entertaining match. And that is the superfish, which God is called the Leviathan, which is like considered the superfish that's in the ocean that's like ginormous um and uh it will be god obviously we realize that this is midrash so this has to be understood a little bit more metaphoric but it does say that there's going to be there is a fish a huge fish which is going to go into a confrontation with this huge 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 bull called behemois over here other places it's referred to Shor Habor, this huge super mega beast and they're gonna, and they're gonna have, they're gonna, you know, battle it out one with each other. And it says over here, but whoever wasn't busy watching all these uh, entertainment matches in this world, which is a waste of time, you know, people that pay so much money to go to, uh, to watch a, a, today's days they sell these, just to watch it on, on, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know, whatever, Netflix or whatever it is, they also charge money. But to go to this, to this, to to, to wherever, wherever they have these matches in Vegas or whatever, enormous amount of money, but that's a real waste of money and a waste of time. So whoever is not busy watching these things, but busy instead spends their energy doing productive things in this world is going to be allowed in to watch this great competition. Because this is already a, a godly stimulated fight between these two entities. Now again, this has mystical meaning and mystical meaning and mystical mystical meaning. And what happens? Uh, Kate said that now, in the end, as they go at each other, what's the, the end result is that both of them would be killed. The fish and this this ginormous fish and this ginormous animal, and that's going to be turned into a great feast for the righteous in the days of the of Mashiach, and been an ancient Jewish uh, tradition that there is a big feast and a meal where God himself comes to that feast, whatever that means. And all the and Abraham and Isaac and everybody's there. Uh, again, I'm going to, I don't know if they, how many times I have to reiterate this, that you know, there has to be, not that we take it out from the physical meaning of it as well, because everything needs to come down in the material world, because that's where is God's most greatest desire but we can't read this just as a material thing because you know that we would be looking forward for thousands of years to eat a piece of fish and a piece of meat i don't care how good that fish is and how well prepared it'll let it be prepared by the top japanese sushi uh artist it 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 it, it does not it's not something that it's nice to go to a nice restaurant and have gourmet food but not what we've been waiting for for thousands of years as the ultimate experience. So we understand that there's deep meaning of what does it mean we'll be eating this fish and we'll be eating this meat and so on and so forth. It comes along with incredible godly revelation through the meat and through the fish. The bottom line, in order for food to be kosher, the food can't be alive. That's the bottom line. So what happens is the fish ends up killing the the big animal, the big bull. The bull ends up kidding ends up killing the fish so now a bull killing a fish is not a problem because a fish doesn't have to be a fish is kosher if it's a kosher fish not all fish are kosher but fish that have fins and scales are kosher now the leviathan is a kosher fish that's not a problem so it's not a whale because a whale is not a kosher fish It's some other huge fish so i don't know a huge huge salmon a huge tuna i don't know what it is but it's a (laughs) it is a huge fish But it's a kosher fish but the problem is it has to be dead but the now the way a fish dies doesn't have any 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 ritual law of how it has to be as long as the fish is dead it's kosher if it's again from the species that's kosher however an animal in order for an animal to be kosher it needs to be ritually slaughtered in a kosher manner and that requires using a knife and slitting the animal's throat no other way can make an animal kosher again first it has to be a kosher animal but a bull is a kosher animal a bull a cow and then it needs to be slaughtered in the right way you can't shoot it with a gun with a bullet you can't bang it on the head all that would make it absolutely forbidden non-kosher so here you have to slit the throat so it says how is the th- throat going to be slit so the animal, the, the beast is gonna is gonna plunge its horns into the fish, the kairoy and he's gonna rip him. Vilivyasa and the Livyasa Noitz lebehemois is gonna slice the animal with its with its uh fins. The noichroi and through that he's gonna puncture it and kill it. That's how and that's gonna be like seeming to be that experience is gonna be now obviously Judaism I'm going to go back if that I have to say this again and again because I know people will get all upset you know why is this entertaining this is entertaining because it has some deep godly significance this is going to be an experience of realizing the ultimate five grand finale of competition of competitions and it represents something very very deep and powerful in the in the in the cosmos of Various different accomplishments, which have been accomplished through different types of service—the fish type of service, the beast type of service. This is—it's not the subject tonight, so I don't want. We could talk about that, and I have a lot to say about that, but not now. Um, we're just bringing this because I'd like to come to the great um, halachic element of it, which is like really phenomenal. So the, the sages right away object to this. The chacham and the chacham say, <laughs> "Hold it! This is not kosher." it's not kosher for a few reasons number one in order for an animal to be kosher a human has to has to slaughter it if, if an animal's throat gets gets slit accidentally through a machine or something it's not done through a human being you know uh, not kosher so over here since a fish is the one slicing or sli- sl- slitting the throat of this of this big animal not not kosher but in addition to that basic element of kosher slaughter is that the knife has to be has to be as smooth as sharp as possible the knife literally can't have even the tiniest little chip or crack the knife has to be the way you know the way they they check the knives they run it on their tongues you would think it would cut the tongue they have to know how to do that because the tongue is so sensitive and the tongue can feel even the tiniest little nick that they're or they would they do it on their nails. The shochet this ritual slaughter. Where it puts it on their nails, and he has to go through the knife many times. And you have to give it to person to inspect it. It's a whole procedure. It's not easy to use a you know. Now, if you if you ever see this the 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 fins of a fish, it's serrated. It's not smooth, so it's not kosher. So this whole slaughter over here of the animal is a non kosher slaughter. If so, the meat is then. Considered not kosher. And this is going to be the ultimate party where everybody, all of Israel, everybody's going to be there. All the righteous people, all going to partake in this feast. How can they eat the meat? That's the question. You can use every type of shkita, every type of thing. but You're not allowed to use a sickle. You're not allowed to use a sword. Because a sword, a saw, not a sword, a saw. Saw is a raggedy end because it rips, and that you're not supposed to do that. It has to be a smooth cut. So the midrash continues, says Rabbi Ovin, Rabbi Ovin, the son of Kahana. God says, "A new Torah will come forth from me." It quotes this verse: "Torah The Torah, a new Torah, will come out from God. It's interesting that it adds one word. In the verse, it doesn't say Torah Chadasha. It just says Torah, me Torah will come forth from me. The Midrash adds a word. And every, in many places where it's quoted, it adds this word. Torah Chadasha, new Torah will come forth from God. And what does that mean? Torah God says a novel idea of Torah is going to come forth from me. And that novel idea of Torah is going to permit this is going to permit this slaughter and we're going to be allowed to eat from it. This is the Midrash. So you see the Midrash is taking this concept of new Torah to a whole new level. Because early we said that new Torah means that what? Only that there will be new depths in Torah. But Torah itself is untouchable. You can't change it. And here we're saying that there's actually going to be a new Torah. There is going to be a change in the wall it's astounding problem is the real problem with this is we know and who's going to teach that new 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 idea who's going to excuse me who's going to come up with that novel thought the midrash says that god is going to do that hashem himself is going to do that so that would be great but the problem is that the one person or the one being who's definitely not allowed to meddle with torah is hashem (laughs) he's the author he's the one who gave it to us but once he gave it to us this is a principle in judaism called torah lo bashamayim torah is not in heaven anymore once god gave the torah down here to earth the torah is given to humans to study it to analyze it and to figure out what it means and if god interjects or an angel interjects, or any other heavenly being or even god himself and he says excuse me you're reading it wrong it has to be so If the sages who read it don't appreciate what God is saying and they understand it the way they understand, they say, no, the way we read it, it doesn't say that. And we can even argue with God and say, I'm sorry, you gave us the Torah. You want us to interpret interpret it through our human thinking. And you have lost jurisdiction over it once you've given it to us. That's the way it is. And we find the sages tell stories about this. that There were arguments amongst the sages regarding various different questions in in throughout all the Talmudic age where the, the great rabbis had had debates and questions and then a heavenly voice god decided to mix in and a heavenly voice came down and he said the law should follow this opinion but the majority of the of the rabbis felt that that opinion was wrong according to their understanding and their interpretation and they felt that the other person is right so they said exactly this thank you god Thank you for this great insight, but we don't accept it because the Torah is not in heaven. The Torah is given down here to earth and we have to follow the instruction you gave us at Sinai. That's the rule. Actually, the Talmud relates that the sages later met Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Hanavi, and they asked him, what did God do while we rejected his, his, his um, input? When God wanted to give his input and the sages rejected it, you would think God must have gone into a rage, right? Got really upset. How dare they not hear me? I'm the author. And they're telling me. So it says God was laughing and God was saying, my children, you were victorious over me. You were victorious over me. God said, you're right. There's a lot to talk about that as well. And that too is not the subject of tonight's class. But what we see from here is that there is no more. We received the Torah and we're meant to study it. And God gave us instructions of how to study and how to extrapolate and how to figure out what he means. Torah is very vague. And the rabbis took the Torah and they plowed into it and plowed into it and plowed into it and created an entire Jewish library. Literally of thousands and thousands of books discussing and arguing back and forth and figuring out what is the will of God based on that initial document. There is no document that has been so studied like the Torah. And and based on that we follow along how the rabbis have interpreted it. So but here we say that based on what we know is the laws of ritual slaughter, a serrated knife is no good. But Mashiach comes, there's gonna be ana there's gonna be this great big meal, everybody's invited and yet we're going to you and, and and the way it's going to be slaughtered is in a way that is not kosher. And we say, but God is then going to reveal a new novel idea and it's going to be okay. How does that work? That seems illegal. That seems that God then is not playing by his very rules that he instructed us. So the Lubavitcher Rabbi dealt with this the last time he spoke to us on Shavuot. On the holiday of Shuas, and he explained how this is going to work. And he says, an amazing idea, a novel idea. And that, I mean, it just, it, it, you know, once the Rebbe explains it, it becomes so, the Rebbe explains it, it becomes so, it, yeah, it makes so much sense, but it's like, it just, he, he reveals what, what's going to happen. How will it be processed? And basically, in short, it's like this In general, we know that we can. That the rabbis, not just rabbis, anybody can innovate and find a new insight in Torah. We can be creative in the Torah. Obviously, a person who's looking into the book for the first time shouldn't start trying to be creative. But if you're a, a seasoned Torah scholar and you learn a lot of Torah, you start coming up with ideas. Which, based on... How about that? Obviously, these, these ideas have to be within the framework of how the system works when you understand the system well, and you study, you can come up with a novel idea. And that becomes part of Torah. That's what we have. The Jewish library is continuously growing and growing and growing throughout the generations. And more Torah and more Torah and more Torah. Even current-day rabbis who are fine people, special people, scholars, devote themselves, write books, publish books. And that's considered Torah. If you want to read one of those books... You're not, you know, we're not allowed to study Torah before we say a blessing that God, you have given me your Torah. Now, if you're reading one of the modern-day books again, I'm saying if it's a valid rabbi, um, not a hocus-pocus rabbi, but a real rabbi who really has studied and 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 is accepted as a as an as an authority in 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 various different parts of Torah. So you're not supposed to study his book until you make a blessing that Hashem, you've given me the Torah. How? I'm reading this guy's book, I'm not reading the Bible, I'm not reading the Chumash. The answer is, because within the Chumash, within the Torah, lot is contained all these concepts. It's just that we're pulling it out, we're drawing it out. The sages even say something phenomenal, they say every idea, that any student, any novel idea, that any student will ever say in Torah, God already said that to, to Moshe at Sinai. That means there really is nothing novel, because if it's true, then God said it, and if God didn't say it, then <laughs> and, and it's a really a novel idea, meaning novel, 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 absolutely novel. Then it's not really Torah. It's a nice, uh, cute idea, but it's not Torah. So, if it's Torah, means it's coming. It's the divine word, and God really said it to Moses. So most people understand that to mean that God actually said to Moses every single teaching from every Rabbi in all the generations. Uh, that's not problematic in terms of, of us accepting that because it sounds like oh, it's impossible. It's impossible. We're talking about We're talking about so much. It's, obviously, when God is the teacher and Moses is the student, he can give him a whole lot of information, and which will include all the teachings from all the generations. That's not the main problem because for God, nothing is impossible. And uh, God could expand Moshe's mind to receive it all. That's not the problem. And God knows everything that everybody will say. The reason why we don't say that is because the sages refer to the, these novel ideas as a novel idea. In the words of the sages, I'm quoting the Hebrew or the Aramaic. It's actually Hebrew. Or everything that any student is going to be machadish, which, which means a novel thought, it was given to Moshe. So the Rebbe says, if it was given to Moshe, then it's not a novel thought. What's novel? Novel means it's your insight. But it was said already. You just repeat. So we can argue, say it doesn't mean it's it's novel because in the last three thousand years, no one said it. Moses heard it, but every, no one else heard it. So it's really novel. But the Rebbe, the Rebbe, learned, again, this is the Rebbe's way of seeing it, is that no, God didn't necessarily tell Moshe every teaching and every from every from every every insight that the every gematria numeric thing that the Arizal reveals or some other rabbi and mysticism and halachana. God taught Moshe the primary principles of Torah. And when you and the methods of study, and when you know the principles and the methods of study, and then you apply it. So then you can come up with various with so much interpretation and so many ideas. So embedded in in, in included in the major principles and ideas are all the details, but the details were not specified by Hashem. In all of its detail and detail of detail and detail of detail, 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 all the way down to the tiny little crumbs. No. But it's all there. It's So it's in almost like everything is there in potential. That's what we mean. It was given to Moses already. It was already, it's there in it, but it hasn't been highlighted. No one has really revealed that nuance. And this student comes and he reveals that nuance then it's considered both a novel idea and that it was given to Moshe because the major principle that's the backbone of this of this of this detail of this nuance is already there it's included in it okay so that's referring to all the Torah insights that we have throughout all of history in all aspects of Torah in law in mysticism in in, in, in in the Torah can be studied in various different levels, primary four levels that we discussed other times. But all this is all it's it's all really contained in the Torah. We're just unpacking it. It's like opening all it's like everything was in a zip drive, like we saw earlier, and now we're opening up all the individual files and all the individual pieces of it. And that's novel, because no one ever saw the detail until this person was given a special merit. That he can find, and and, you know, by the way, it says in Tanya, in the the great Hasidic work Tanya, that every single person is obligated to find his or her part of the Torah and to innovate novel ideas. Every person is obligated to do that. Because you have certain teachings in Torah that God has made that only your unique soul has the ability to make that discovery and extract it. So you're not really creating it, you're just extracting it. But no one else would ever be able to unlock that thought or that idea. Only you, unique to your type of soul that you have and experiences that you have that have conditioned you to think this way and see this way and be able to discover this thought. Okay. Now, there are certain elements in Torah that are so deep, so deep, so, so deep that no one is able to extract. No one can unearth them. And the only one who can unearth them is only God himself. That's what's so cool. Which means there are teachings of Torah that are unearthable by anybody. Or, I would say, so many different levels. There is the more easy extractions, stuff that are easy to find. They're like right just beneath the surface. It's like digging in the ground. So there are, like you're looking for water or something. So. If you're in a place where it's very watery, so then you can dig just, you know, a foot or so, and you can already find water in the ground. And then there are places where the water is very, very deep, and you need a, and you need to really dig, 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 dig. And then there are places where you say a regular person can do it. You need a massive drilling company that comes in and drills all the way down and finds the water. And then there are such depths that there is water there, but even drilled, no, no created drill has ever, no one has ever created a drill that can go so deep. All right that's kind of the idea there are parts of Torah that are that that ordinary people can find. There are certain gems of Torah that you need a great tzaddik like the Holy Bal Shemto him to be able to find it and to reveal it, or like the holy uh, you know Ari, or Reb by like people like that who are way above and beyond the rest, and they have that ability that eyes that can penetrate deep, deep, deep deep, and pull out the jewels that are hidden, the diamonds, that are buried so deep in the Torah that regular human minds wouldn't comprehend, but these godly minds can figure out. But then there are gems of Torah that are so deep that even the godliest of minds can't find it. only God himself can extract it. That extraction and that level has not yet been revealed. That's what's going to start when Mashiach comes. And God will then reveal his insight and his way of his ideas when God will reveal which includes all those secrets that we spoke about before, the mystical ideas that's the first idea of new Torah that's going to come when Mashiach comes it's the mysteries, the hidden secrets, divine secrets that even the Zohar couldn't find even like the Ari the holy master Kabbalist, the holy writings of the Ari, even the Ari couldn't find these are like God will reveal. Who's going to receive it? But it's not going to come directly to us from Hashem. It's going to go first into Mashiach. Now, how is Mashiach going to receive such bright light, such revelation, such, such um, insight? So, Mashiach is not going to immediately plug in through his intelligence because no created entity can conceive this with their intelligence. Even Mashiach's intelligence can't receive it. Mashiach is going to receive it through his incredible capacity of of being a prophet. Through prophecy, he will be able to open up to receive this unbelievable illumination of light, of new godly transmission, a new divine download. It will come to him in a manner of a prophecy, which a prophecy is more like an a otherworldly experience. In prophecy, you transcend the human intellect, and you're going beyond the intelligence. You're going into that higher, higher unknown reality beyond the human mind, the scope of the human mind. And over there, he's going to receive this great, great light. That's why my man and he says that Mashiach is going to be a prophet. Just second to Moses, that's it. That is going to be his capacity to receive the highest transmissions. But that's not enough, because that's not Torah. That's prophecy. But what Mashiach is going to do after he conceives these ideas as a pure divine revelation, he's then going to feed it into his mind and process it into his intelligence. And because he is, Mashiach is, going to be endowed by God with the greatest intelligence that any person ever had. As we said earlier, even wiser and more intelligent than Shlomo, and King Solomon. So we're talking about in intelligence, the super brain. No human being will will ever, ever come close to the mind of Mashiach. So he is going to be able to then take the illumination which he received through prophecy interpret it into his intelligence and in his mind. Once Mashiach has it, then grasps it through his intellect. Now he can bring it and he will bring these teachings to us and teach it to us. And that will be already in a way of a teacher student relationship in a way of ideas that he will feed us that we will understand. So now we will start becoming enriched and enlightened with the deepest divine wisdom, which which at, at at its very beginning is coming out from God and it's infinitely beyond any intelligence, yet Mashiach is able to make that transition from it being just an illumination and revelation to a to a to a science, to an understanding, and he will teach it. That's regarding all the Torah mysteries, all the Torah secrets, they've the deep secrets. What? How about the changing of the law that we spoke about earlier—the laws of the shchit. So the Rebbe says, "This is what's going to happen in the Torah somewhere in an unknown place that today no one knows how where and when, but in the Torah there is a certain little loophole over there, which allows and says that the particular that even though a a slaughter." an animal with a serrated knife is not kosher it doesn't apply to that particular meat that will be slaughtered by the fish by the leviata now based on torah knowledge that we have today there's no such an exception no one knows this exemption it doesn't exist in the torah as we study it today but it's there we're blind to it. You know, it says that, um, you know, when Yishmael was, 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 was escaping with Hagar, when, when not escaping, when when Abraham sent his son Yishmael away, he banished him. So the lad got fever and his mother was carrying him. And then she, we read, we read this in Rosh Hashanah, and then the kid's fever was running high and they were in the desert and he was going to die. And she put the baby down because she said, "I don't want to see him." She wasn't a baby; he was already thirteen years old. But I don't want to see my son as he dies. And she went off at a distance and she was crying. It says God heard not her cries; He heard heard His cries, Yishmael. And God opened up her eyes, and she suddenly saw a a spring. And she took water, and she and she was able to revive him. The sages derive from here that you can be Things can be around you, but we don't see it unless God opens up our eyes. That's why we know there's a custom that when we lose something, um, let's say you lose your shoes, your glasses, your keys, your unimportant document. You know how many times is that We run around our house like 30 times. I don't want to tell you this, but I this is like one of my miseries in life because I'm very absent, ab, abs, uh, absent minded. So I'm always losing everything. Thank God for my wife. I always ask her. Where's my hat? Where's my shoes? Where's my this? Where's my that? So she's, thank God she has her feet on the ground, but I'm like all over the place. I have no idea where I put things. But so for me, this could be very, very frustrating. So there is a mitzvah, not a mitzvah, there is a custom, a, uh, uh that, that, that it's an, an omen, a type of thing that helps you find stuff. You take a little, you give, you take a dollar, uh, a quarter, whatever it is, you give it to charity. And you say, uh, and, and, and you say, or best is what's called reme or balame, so it's a type of charity for the land of Israel. And then you say a certain passage which says, Ami Rabbi Binyamin, Binyamin says that everybody's considered blind until God opens their eyes. So, and when you say that, it happens, everybody's countless stories. It can be like, you can be looking for something for a half an hour. You gave the charity and you said that and bang. You you go to the closet, you looked over here 30 times, you didn't find it, and suddenly it's right over there. Everybody has such stories, right? So that's what happens. I can't say I guarantee every time, but it happens many times. So now, if that's true about finding physical objects, how much more so when it comes to seeing something? We can read the verses and miss something. So there's a certain nuance in the Torah that no one, now we're dealing with something that is so hard to find that nobody's eye can find it. No human eye can pick it up. Only God would be able to find it. But here's the problem. As we said earlier, God has no jurisdiction of the Torah. He's very cool that he can see everything, but he can't put input. It has to be decided by the rabbis down here. So this is the way it's going to work. God is going to transmit this, this teaching in which he's going to reveal from where we can find in our Torah that we have an exemption for why the 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 that particular slaughter where the fins of the fish are going to are going to slit the throat of that big animal um, and it's going to be kosher. God is going to reveal it through prophecy to because it's a, such a godly idea insight. He's going to reveal it to Mashiach. Mashiach is going to then take it from his prophets, from the prophecy side of his mind, and he's going to pass it over to his intelligence, to his, from his, almost like from his Moses side, and he's going to pass it over into his King Solomon side, and understand it and appreciate it intellectually. He's going to gather together the great rabbis of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is the the, the greatest body of rabbis deciding Torah law. And when Mashiach, today we don't have the Sanhedrin. When Mashiach comes, they're going to be restored. He's going to teach it to them and show it to them where it where it says. And they're going to agree that that's true. It makes sense. Based on all the previous principles that they know are true. It's just that they told they, them now no one can see it. Now they can see it. And they're all going to give their stamp of approval. So, and then it's it's okay. When we say God cannot meddle with the Torah is when God says sees it one way and the rabbis see it differently. But if we have the right messenger who can communicate and bring God's way of thinking down to the rabbis and reveal to them how to see this particular thing and then they appreciate and understand it and based on that they give their... They say, yeah, of course, it doesn't apply here. It's kosher. That's when it's kosher. That's the way this transmission is going to work. Of the new Torah. Okay. But here. Here. The Rebbe. Takes it so much deeper. And he says. Why is it. That in particularly. In general, we're saying that the new Torah is not going to be a change in the law. The law will stay the same. But in one particular law regarding meat that's not kosher, it will be permitted through this through this revelation, through this new teaching that Mashiach will bring as he heard from Hashem. Why out of all things will it be in, in this particular law regarding food that would not be allowed based on our current understanding but then it's going to become permitted and why by these, this particular setting of the fish and the and the and the animal what's the relationship why in general is mashiach changing something with his new torah he will change something although generally we say he can't change anything here he will change Again, but he's saying he's the law is changing, but the principles aren't changing. The main idea behind it is that we, the way we understand it, that's the same. So the Torah is not changing, but the final law will change because we know it's that way. By the way, I just want to give an example to that. If the rabbis in a certain generation were presented with a question and they sat down and they evaluated it, when we say the rabbis, we mean the great Sanhedrin, the great court in the temple, they used to sit in the temple. And based on their analysis, after much discussion and debate and argument, they said this, this uh, type of um, um, uh, oven, let's say, is not is impure. The situation is whatever, It's not kosher, whatever. This mikvah is not kosher. If you build a mikveh like this, it's not kosher. Okay. And then a hundred years pass. And there was another and the question comes up again. And for whatever reason, they decided to re reevaluate. And the current, based in sitting over there, based on all their knowledge that they know, sit and re reinvestigate, re-study all the sources, read it really well. And the majority says, no, nope, this mikveh is kosher. Then the law changes. And we have to follow based on what the current based in says. Now, Rambam says that once the Talmud was closed, once that was up until the Talmud, because we had these huge Sanhedrins, we had these huge bodies of law of Once the Talmud is closed, we can't argue on anything that the Talmud has decided. But the later rabbis can't change anything. We can debate if there is a question in the Talmud itself, but we can't dismiss a a a prohibition that is clearly prohibited by the talmud or a something that is permitted by the talmud we can't come and say you know that it's different so but that idea applies so it makes a lot of sense as we said earlier that when we will have a new a new a new revelation and it will be presented to the sanhedrin it will be able to override the way it was been seen till now and then it will be kosher but here's the question Why is it that primarily we say that what Mashiach is not changing the law? In most things, everything will stay the same. What will change? What what is Mashiach coming to add? He's coming to add greater depth, greater richness, greater secrets of Torah is going to reveal. He's going to bring in the more spiritual side, the godly side of things, but the law will remain the law. But in one particular thing, he will change the law. Why is it that in that particular thing, And why is it expressed in just in that particular matter, not in anything else. There must be a connection. Now there's another element where we find that when Mashiach comes there will be a change in the law. But that case is different and I'm going to explain in a moment because it's not a new idea that it's we're only going to discover after Mashiach comes. Rather, we know now that one mitzvah is going to change after the coming of Mashiach. That means when it comes to the the um the, the, the shafting of the of the, the slaughter of the fish, of the fish of the animal, that according to what we know now, it's not kosher when Mashiach will come, we're going to hear something, a novel thought, a novel idea coming from God himself, and it's going to make that it's, that the basin is going to, as we said earlier, that the court is going to reevaluate and say that in that case, it's kosher, fine. But is there any mitzvah, that the Torah tells us already, from the very beginning, that you you observe the mitzvah like this, and when Mashiach comes, you'll observe the mitzvah a little different. So for instance, we wear tzitzis. So tzitzis has, Tzitzes are these fringes that Jewish men wear on the and the and the, the corners of their garments. So we know that there are four tzitzes on the four corners. Now, what happens if you have a garment that has five corners? So you don't wear five tzitzes. You wear four at the farthest corners, but the one the one of the one of those corners you just ignore it. You don't put tzitzes. and if you do put tzitzes, you're actually violating the commandment that you're not allowed to add on to a mitzvah. A mitzvah is set four and not five another example on sukkot we take four species of plants and we hold them together the lemon the not the lemon the uh, the citrus fruit the esrog, and the um the myrtle branch and the palm branch and the um the willow the branches of the willow we take all these together Robin, and if someone decides to add a kiwi to it because he loves kiwis not kosher it's you 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 not only didn't you do the mitzvah, you actually ruined the mitzvah. You're violating the commandment that we shouldn't add anything, or you can't subtract if you're if you're you have to have form. So that things like that we understand. But here there's gonna be a mitzvah where God will where, where the Torah says that even though now you're fully completely fulfilling it with a certain number, when Mashiach comes, you're gonna do it with more. And what is that? It's talking about um the cities of refuge where when someone kills someone accidentally, the law is that, meaning unintentionally, and um, so they're not liable to be put to death, but, the murderer, but they they don't get get off scot-free, have to go into this place, and if they don't go there, then the avenger of the blood, which means a family member is allowed to kill them. So they have to run and stay in that place, and they have to stay there sometimes for many years. Until the high priest dies. That's the way it works. So it's possible that they're going to be in the city of a few Jews for two weeks, and then the high priest dies and they're out. It's possible they can be there for 30 years. They have no idea how long they have to go there. It's, it's almost like being sent to prison, but it's not really a prison because you, you have a whole city to go, but you can't leave the boundaries of the city. And if you do leave, then you're making yourself vulnerable uh, to the to if someone would. You know take the person's life that won't be liable they were allowed to do because the person was not allowed to leave the city okay that's the rule today's days meaning in the time of throughout in all the past we were supposed to designate it six primary cities in the land of israel for your miklis for these cities of refuge six cities the verse says that when Mashiach will come, God is going to expand your land. He's going to add another three three provinces or three areas or three countries are going to be added to the land of Israel. Israel is going to become much larger. So God says at that time, you're going to add another three cities of refuge. There's going to be altogether nine. So here you have an example of a mitzvah that changes. <laughs> tzitzis won't change. Four tzitzis. Well, uh, Asrog, uh, the, the, the four species of, the, of, the, of Sukkot won't change. All other mitzvahs stay the same. This mitzvah, it's not six, it's nine. So that's an exact, here you see another place where there is some kind of a post-Mashiach adjustment to a mitzvah. Now, obviously on that case, the question is, and this everybody asks, which I'm not going to go really into it, to explain it, even though the Rebbe does talk about it, but there's just so much information in this talk that is just mind blowing. But in, in in over there he discusses the idea that the question when, when Mashiach will come, will there be more accidental death or less accidental death? God will remove all death from the world. Definitely people won't have an, an evil inclination. You know, sometimes today's day, sadly, you have what's called road rage, right? You know, a you cut, person cuts another person off and people are so out of their minds that they'll pull up on the side, God forbid, and pull a gun out and shoot the other person. Little children were killed from nutcases who get angry on the road just because someone cut them off, they shoot them. We hope that, you know, Mashiach comes, we know that God will remove the evil, the evil, the evil spirits from the world. And those who don't want to drop the evil spirit will be removed as well. It's, uh, hopefully, you know, so the people that will be alive in this world will be good people. <laughs> so there definitely won't be intentional. If there won't be. And we would understand that there will probably be less accidental death. Because death in general will become far less. We discussed that on Shavuot. We had a whole class whether there is still death after Mashiach or not. But so, if anything, we could we can downsize the the cities of refuge not 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 increase so that's a good question so we're not going to deal with the 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 practical element of it well what i am going to talk about now is share some phenomenal thought which connects these three things together of why when the new torah comes when mashiach comes we're going to have on the one hand new depth new inner teachings of the inside of the Torah, we're going to have a change regarding the the Kashrut, the laws of kosher regarding one particular kind of meat, which would be deemed non kosher today, but when Mashiach comes, it's going to be kosher. And finally, what's this idea of adding more um, cities of refuge to a um, to increase that as part of the Mashiach expansion of Torah? why is there a thread that runs through these these three ideas so the Rebbe says something just absolutely mind-blowing and I'm, I'm, I was teaching this a little bit over the holiday and I and I'm happy I'm so excited to be able to share it today and this is the idea in general um, we look at the Torah we find there is so many positive this positive Commandments in the Torah there's all kinds of things the Torah wants us to do and then there is prohibitive command look at the Ten Commandments I think it's about half and half in the Ten Commandments or maybe maybe no 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 I think there is let's see I am God your God is a positive commandment that we should believe in God Um. remember the day of Shabbos is a positive commandment honor your parents is a positive commandment. Three. I think all the other ones are prohibitive commandments. Don't have any other gods. Don't take my name in vain. Don't kill. I cannot commit murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet um, someone else's things. What's the other one? Did I skip one? Anyways, yeah, okay. Um, whatever it is we have over here um, most of them are prohibitive three or four positive so yeah and so these are these are these are both uh, they're they're both around the same same type of thing but they're both prohibitive seven prohibitive commandments three positive commandments in the 613 full when you count all the commandments, not just the 10 commandments, 248 are positive, 365 are prohibitive. Now, why is there so much more? So it comes out that in Judaism, there is so much more no than there is yeah. So much in Judaism is about what we're not allowed to do. And there's less in Judaism about what we are supposed to do. And that can be a little troubling. Why is there so much no more than there is yeah? Wouldn't it be great if there would just be so much more yeah than no? So much no. Now we can argue and give a more basic um, simple answer and say because there is, when we're doing, when we're doing a yeah, a positive commandment, when we're doing something, then what we're really doing is we're cultivating the good that's inside of us and cultivating the good potential that's inside the world. So we're like developing this world. We're bringing out the goodness that's in this world. And we're building up that goodness. Or in the terminology of the mystics, we are fanning the flames of the sparks of holiness. We're uncovering these sparks. We're revealing them. We're actualizing them. What are we doing when we are avoiding, when we're engaged in a prohibitive commandment? When we are what we call practicing a no, not practicing a yeah when we're practicing a no, what we are doing is we are rejecting a, a negative entity in the world. We are pushing away something bad. We are eliminating a dark force. Based on that, we can argue and explain that the reason there is there more no than there is yes is because sadly this world is proliferated and filled with all kinds of dark stuff. So there is more Demonic, dark stuff in this world that we need to get rid of. So that's why we're so busy with the no. And then there is there is a lot of yet, a lot of good potential too. But if you're looking at them, like Tanya describes our world, the great mystic book from the right, and then he quotes this from the holy master, the holy Ari, uh, Rabbi Gloria the great mystic, that this world is primarily evil in terms of the world after the sin of the tree of knowledge so much bad so much corruption so much so it takes a lot of no's to wipe it clean to reject it to break it by saying no 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 we're breaking all these dark forces and god obviously knew how much yeah and how much no is necessary but that's not a comforting thought that kind of thought makes us feel like we're living there's you know it, it's a depressing thought because there is, if if, if if there is, that there is so much, yeah, good, we will overcome the darkness, but the fact that there is so much no and and when you're looking at your own life, so much time we're battling against the negative forces inside of us, wouldn't it be better if we can use that energy for the positive? So we do know that the best way to battle the negative tendencies and, 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 and not such good things inside of us is by... Is by occupying yourself with good, automatically the negative stuff keep away. That's true. But still, the very fact that we're told, we see from God's instructions to us that it's almost like God is saying, I know there's more bad in you than there is good, so let's focus so much on the bad stuff and rid yourself, not this, not this, not that. That's not a that's not a positive thought. <laughs> that's that's a, a a a a putting down thought. So let's see if we can turn this around and see that it's not that way. It's actually marvelous why there is so much no more than there is yeah. You see, the sages tell us that the Torah preceded the world. The Torah preceded creation. 2,000 years. Now, before creation, there was no time. If there is no time, there is no 2,000 years. So obviously, it means 2,000 levels, not just years. It's... Levels. It means that the Torah is above and beyond the world and everything that's existing in the world. If that's the case, so much of the Torah is talking about all these dark stuff, witchcraft and 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 murder and 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 all kinds of depraved act, acts and so on and so forth. The Torah is going into all these ugly deception and lies and. And the Torah is telling us how these are all negative things and bad and keep away from that. But hold it, if the Torah precedes the creation, preceding the creation, all that exists is God. What's God thinking all these negative thoughts about? Like, wow, God's sitting there thinking about all these hypothetical, real dark things. Come on, God, you have nothing else to think about, only about these dark stuff. If it's only God and the Torah, God and and the Torah, Torah is his so what is he thinking about? What's all this, what's all this garbage doing there? So obviously we have to say that what we're seeing the Torah talking about good and bad as it's coming down into the world, that's only a garment. There is something so much, so much deeper over here. There is a level where the Torah is completely divine. And over there, the do's and the don'ts, the yes and the no's are all about God. They're not about Ugly stuff that we have to reject. You know, it's only about Hashem. So what's the real story in the Torah? What is it really all about? The real story is as follows: God, through the Torah, allows us to connect to Him. He's allowing us, He's expressing Himself to us. He wants us, He wants to open Himself up to us. In that case, there is two ways. In which you can get to know a person or any entity. One way is to positively identify their character traits, their personality traits, their characteristics. And based on that, I know you. I know what type of person you are. You're a mellow person. You're a stricter person. You're a kinder person. You're a softer person. You're a tough person. Don't. Right, you're you're stern, you're strict. No, you're very soft and and easygoing. You're happy. You're depressed. You're down. You're fun to be with. You're not so. You're irritating. It's irritating to be around you. Like everybody's got different different things and features that make up their personality. And I can get to know a person and get to know all about them, what type of person they are, what they're into, and so on and so forth. And then you kind of get a description of what the person is like. But on some level, through all positive identifications of the person, you're only really tapping the external element of the human being. Because the external element of the human being can be described with all these positive identifications. What you like, what are your... If you want to go a little deeper into the person and get to know the person as they are, in a sense, beyond association with this or with that, the way you get a deeper look in a human being is by when you get a sense. So that you can't positively identify. Them. So over there, it's more like, I know, I don't know you yet exactly what, but I know that you're not this. That's called a, That's called a negation. I'm getting to know something by negating things that are opposite them. It's like you know in relationships, in your spouse, there are things that your spouse loves and makes it really happy. And by it's it's really a good idea to get to know what your spouse really likes, because if you keep on missing and you think they like this or you think they like that, and you keep on buying them the wrong things. It doesn't do too well for the marriage. It's good to really get to know what really makes your wife happy, what really makes your husband happy, so you can you want to you know have your relationship thrive and. Make them happy. You want to. You want to be able to know that. Yeah. I and mean, but then it's even more important to know what what irritates them, because if you figure out what irritates them, then that's 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 a deeper part. You know. I know that. You, that, that this you can not, not not this, and that because the level of the not this is deeper, because that's usually the more intense side of the person. They're not. But let's say, you know, let me perhaps, you look You look at, at people, you see that the things that irritate them tell us a lot about them more than, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, when, when, when you see someone as a humble person, they're very humble, they're very but when you, how much do you know of of how humble they are? It's limited, you know, because you know, humility is not shown so much. But when you meet them and you, when they had an encounter with someone that's very arrogant, very arrogant, and you see, not that they a humble person won't express themselves so much, but you can pick up how irritated they become. When they're witnessing or when they see arrogance, it bothers them so deeply. They just it doesn't sit well. It's like, it's like a suddenly allergic reaction. How dis, how disturbed they've become by by watching arrogance. Or sometimes you have people who are so sensitive to truth, which means that they love truth and you can see they're truthful. And But then you got to witness of how upset they got when they saw deception or they saw something a little bit crooked and how deeply it like, and you know that they stand for truth and anything that's not true bothers them so much. That inner peak is like giving you an insight into an inner dimension of them that you don't know from their external pursuit of their positive identification with truth, right? So again people are different some people get irritated by arrogance some people get very irritated by selfishness some people get very irritated by lies by deception some people I'm talking about good traits to, good things to be irritated about um some people can't stand i don't know uh, um 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 a, a, a lack of loyalty or things like that a lack of trust or the op, mis, like things like that and you then you can get like you you're getting a more of a Obviously, when it comes to God, can God be known positively? Can we identify? Can we come to an understanding of who God is through a positive identification? Yes, God does lend himself or express himself through various different entities or or personality traits that are godly. So, for example, God is very giving. So how do we really know that God is very giving? First, they created a world, but, but where do you really see that? Because in the Torah, God gives us a commandment to give, to be charitable. So when we are charitable and when we're doing mitzvahs of giving tzedakah, we are emulating God's kindness and God's generosity. And not only are we being similar to God, but we are now becoming more familiar with God. We're becoming closer to God. We get to know God through our kindness. You're knowing him through, you're knowing that, that expression of Hashem, that he expresses himself as a kind, generous being. Now, through the mitzvah, for instance, that we, the commandment to honor our parents, and by doing this commandment what's the what's the energy behind the mitzvah what would be the idea behind it gratitude if there's any person you should be grateful to it's your parents no matter even if the parents weren't that best of parents but the fact that they gave you life and they brought you into the world is requires gratitude so by us knowing that god commands us so in the 10 commandments this is like the top, top priority that you have to that you have to give you have to honor your parents. You know that gratitude is very very high up there in the divine in, in 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 what God identifies with. God identifies with gratitude. And by God giving us the commandment to keep Shabbos, God wants us to know the experience of peace and tranquility, of non-changingness. And during the week, everything is but... The inner experience of the divine is tranquil, it's peace, it's undisturbed, so to speak. So by us having a Shabbos experience, we're, we're, we're lifting ourselves out of the, the changing uh, tension that goes on in creation and we get a little taste of the divine peacefulness and, 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 and uh, calmness and, and the like. Obviously, through studying Torah, we get an understanding in God's intelligence, so on and so forth. But in all these things, the question is how much of the inner innermost of God is expressed in these features? Only to a certain degree. Because these all the it says in Kabbalah, it says that all positive commandments come from God's kindness. Kindness means your ability to to re- express yourself, to reveal yourself. Every revelation of a person, a revelation or any entity, revelation means already exiting. You're your, 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 your stepping out of your inside and going to the outside. And whenever you're going to the outside, it's already less than who you are in your inside. It's always That's always the rule. So whenever there is a flow, an outward flow, an expansion, an expression, a revelation, it's weakening whatever it is that's going to, that is expressing itself compared to the way it is in its inner being. So God's kindness is expressed in the 365 positive prohibitions. But on the other side, there's God's power of gavurah. God's might, Gavura. And what's Gavura in its source? His might and its power is God's inwardness. As God is unrevealable, unknowable, as he is his intensity, as he he is within himself, utterly unknowable. So that level does not express itself in any yeah, in any positive identification. Can we have any access to God's transcendence as He is completely inward in Himself? Well, that can't be known through a positive definition. You can't say He's kind. He's He has gratitude. God is awesomely peaceful. God is um, wise. Uh, I don't know all these various different traits that you can pick up from the positive commandments and by understanding appreciation and appreciating the the underlying current behind all these commandments that gives you that gives you insight into god's expression but God's inner self as he stands for himself that cannot be known so how do we can we know God in in a transcendental way so the philosophers speak of the idea of you get to know somebody or something anything that's very lofty you can't know it through defining it but you can get closer to it by knowing what it's not by saying it's not this and it's not that that's giving you some kind of some sort of a sense of what it is even though you don't really know fully what it is but by negating what it's not, it's already connecting you. You have some relationship to it. So always the the knowing, the knowing through a no, is connecting you much higher than knowing through a yeah. Although when you're knowing through a yeah, you're knowing it much better because when I can identify it, then I can explain it, then I'm really then I'm really grasping it. If I, all I know about it is that it's not this and not that, then it's still aloof. But it doesn't mean I'm not knowing. I'm sensing it. I'm becoming attached to it. Yet, Yes, it's above me, but I'm touching something very high. So in God himself, there is these two sides of him. As God reveals himself through positive identification. But that's considered, so to speak, the weaker Element, the more external aspect of the divine. And then there is the inner, utter, godly infinity of God that's not transmittable or communicatable. It doesn't come out in any positive expression. But over there, it's only in no and what he's not. And just like it is in study and learning, we can study his yeah and we can study his no, two ways of studying, of knowing. The same as an experience. In mitzvot, God doesn't only want us to study him intellectually and connect him, God wants us to experience him fully. So, in a positive commandment, it's not just that we learn about gratitude, but by the fact that you live a life honoring your parents, you become, every cell of your being becomes a being of gratitude. And then you and God sink together because God is full of gratitude. To anything, anything anybody does, God has so much gratitude for the fact that you did it. And God wants to inculcate that into each and every one of us. So when we honor our parents, then again, it's not just a, a, an understanding of gratitude, it's living gratitude. And when you're giving charity, and you live a life of charity, or you know, all the mitzvahs that are like related to charity, like visiting the sick, um, 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 um comforting the, the mourners, uh, whatever, all the kala, helping brides get married, group, uh, whatever it is all the kindnesses that we do we don't just get to know intellectually god's generosity and kindness we experience that kindness we enter into the kind flow into that where we attach ourselves to god's kindness and every fiber of our being becomes infused with generosity so we are fully and we're keeping Shabbos. We we, we we enter into the divine zone of, as we spoke earlier, of peace, tranquility. And we get to know that side of the divine, that element of the divine. Through the positive commandments. But then God says, I have a much deeper side, a much deeper side. I want to show you the more intense side of me. But for that, there's no way you can tap it through Yeah." So let's do a little bit of no. So God surrounds us with things that are antithetical to him. And God says, I'm not that. I I really don't. Oh, that's a lie. That's deception. That's even such subtle deception. Keep away from that. I really don't like that. So now I know that he's not that. I, I can't know his truth because his truth is so high, so deep. But I know how irritated he is by the by, by the not that. So God intentionally creates all these all these entities within the world that are opposite of him so that we can get to experience him on a such a personal deeper level. So when we're faced with all kinds of evil inclination and desires and lusts and, and 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 hatred and animosity and jealousy and greed and all these things and if you want to live your life according to God's will you have to shut down these feelings and you have to battle them all day long God is giving you an opportunity to live and experience through no through a, through an act of no not an act of yeah and as a result of that to become so attached And to become so, so aware of who Hashem really is on such a deep level. Now, obviously, while we're living life and we're just seeing the dark stuff and we're saying no to them, while we're alive in our bodies, we're just, we're not recognizing what's really happening over here. That our souls are becoming so, so attached and so aware of God's transcendence. Because what we are mainly seeing is the is the ugliness of the dark things, the, the impurity of the things that are around us. And actually, it makes us sometimes crazy. It makes us miserable that we have all these dark desires and wants. But really, it's two sides of God. It's his yeah and it's, and it's his no. And by us practicing the no and being that the no of the divine is so much bigger than the yeah. What do we mean by that? That which we can... God's inner self that is not expressible into anything, the mystery of Hashem, is so much more than the external of Him that expresses itself in the, in, the, in, in the yeah. So obviously we understand why there is so much more no than there is yeah. Why there are so many more prohibitive commandments than there are positive commandments. Hashem is really wants to make us become so, so unified with Him. With not just his external being. But with his inner being. Who he truly is. And to enter into that zone. Of who he truly is. It's like. As we go back to our relationship, a relationship. A husband and a wife. That have been married 30, 40, 50 years. They. On the. On the on, they really. And to have a, a good marriage. And care about each other. They have this like. Real sense of each other's soul. And they know beforehand she won't like this. And in that what she won't like is deeper than what she will like. It's it's this the the, the, the there's just something there that, that you you're sensitive, you're sensitive to the tiny nuances of what she doesn't like or what he doesn't like. So through the nose, we become so much deeper in our marriage with God than through the yeah. And God created a whole world with a bunch of nose and garbage just for us to be able to experience with our physical bodies. That's the point. That's why all these things are here in the physical. But they're, they're, they're basically just each one is a pointer to help us point. Each one is a lesson to get to know God. And when we say get to know God, that our physical flesh gets to know God. When our physical flesh has to refrain from doing something it wants to do but it knows that God says no, the physical flesh is learning something, not your brain, not your intellect. Your flesh is getting to learn something about God's inner truth, inner inner unexpressible self that is, it, that, that is being communicated in this act of the no through this object that you have to reject or through this action that you have to make, or through this non-kosher piece of meat that you have to say no to. So once we have to understand that principle, now we're going to go back and understand why when Mashiach comes, there is going to be this one level, this one piece of meat, or one big bull, that's going to be shakted in a way which according to the world now, it's not kosher. But through the mechanics that we discussed earlier, it will be revealed then that it is, it is culture. And that is related to, to exactly this point. What is going to be the novel? You see? Why is it important for us to have both the yes and the no's, two types of mitzvot? Because as we said earlier, when I know something about you and I know, you know, your personality traits that you you express yourself in and through, that type of knowing brings me very close to you. Why am I getting very close to you? Because I really, these are things that I can really understand. I can appreciate them. I can connect to them. I can identify them. I can know. And I, But when it comes to, as we said before, things that are not so concrete, they're more subtle, they're more abstract. So even though we said it's a deeper kind, I'm sensing you on a deeper level. I'm connecting to a deeper place. But The the level of how I'm how I'm how strong I'm knowing it. It's more distant from me. See things that I can positively identify with. I can know it and assimilate it completely because I know what it is. But things that I can only identify by saying what it's not. So even though as we said it's a higher level. It's a higher dimension. But it's more, the knowledge that I get in it is more distant. Farther than me. So each one has a, and that's why we can understand why we need to have both, engage in both types of mitzvot. We have to know not God's not kindness, and we have to know God's inwardness. God's, through his kindness and expression, we were able to really assimilate godliness completely into our being but the the problem with that is it's the lower side of god and through knowing him through the prohibitive commandments we're getting to know him on a much deep on a much we're getting to know a much higher level of him but it is re, it is remote it's a little distant it's removed what is going to be the novelty of mashiach the novelty of the, of mashiach is that he is going to enable a, a communication coming from God, where God will transmit his inner, hidden, unknowable, indescribable, indescriptive self that you can only know through a no, and yet we are going to be able to perceive it in a pot with a positive identification in a yeah, not through a no. so there is going to be both the qualities we're going to be able to fully integrate it and fully become you know a, di, digest it fully absorb it and yet it's going to be what is utterly unabsorbable and unknowable it's going to be an absolute paradox what you what is what is impossible to know what is hidden beyond hidden what can only what can only be perceived through through negation yet mashiach We'll bring that in yet yeah, in a yeah, not in a no. Mamanidi says about mashiach he says that in those days the people are going to be so wise. the Jewish people will be so wise and again that knowledge then will be passed to the world, but the Jewish will be so wise that they're going to know their, they're going the yes these are the words of Mamani says they're going to know the hidden things. They're going to comprehend the mind of their creator. The divine mind will be understood by the human mind. And then Maimonides adds three words. But in accordance to man's power. In accordance to man's ability. So that seems to be a paradox. If you're going to know God's mind... If it's according to man's ability, then man's ability is not to know, you can't know God's mind. You're a finite mind, then God's an infinite mind. What do you mean? You're going to know his mind? So if the Ramam would have just said, we're going to know his mind, we would be like, wow, that's super. But he kind of ruins it when he says, but in, in accordance to man's ability, okay. So do we really know his mind? If we're only knowing it according to our ability, then we're not really knowing his mind. But the Rebbe says, no, 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 Ramam is saying, when he says according to man's ability, is not to diminish it. He's actually only increasing it. You're going to know God. But knowing God means, in a way of, the only way you can know him is through abstraction, through saying what he's not. You can't know him through, a, because he's unknowable. And yet we say, no, accordance to, the, accordance to the power of man. Which means the unknowable will become knowable. But what's impossible to, he will make it, and that's exactly what we said earlier about the secrets of the Torah. Remember we said when we spoke about what, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. Till now we study Torah with our minds. We perceive whatever we can identify in the Torah. Then there is that those aspects of the Torah that no one can reveal. No one knows them. It's beyond all creative creativity. Ingenuity, if you call it. Any type of perception, understanding. No creation even on the highest of the high, can perceive. Yet, what's going to happen? God will teach us Torah from that level. Teach it to Mashiach through prophecy, and from prophecy, it will go into his intelligence to know what's unknowable. But how will he bring it down through his intelligence? Including this law. So the point over here is, what until now, was only touchable through an abstraction is now going to be able to be conceived and understood through a the through a grasping through a full integration so how is that going to express itself in law a piece of meat that to now when god when God presented you, generally whenever we're presented with a desire, you're walking on the street and you feel that you're hungry, you haven't eaten all day, and suddenly you smell ah, a bakery and it just has such a good smell, it's just pulling you. you just. Want, or, I don't know, some place where they're having really good barbecue, whatever, and you're like, ah. but you're trying to keep kosher. Let's say you started just a while ago. So it's not like someone, who, someone like myself. Okay, it's almost not a temptation because well, God, I not eat be kosher because I never ate non-kosher, at least consciously. We don't. We're born with that. We live this way. Fine. But someone who just started keeping non-keeping uh, kosher just a while, just you're just doing it for three. And suddenly you're overtaking. You're hungry. You're about to go in and say nothing is going to happen. I'm just going to have this little slice of whatever. Uh, and you, and, and but you remember. You say the Torah says no. But what's really happening, what did we say earlier? What's really happening is to you, is that God is revealing himself to you through that temptation. You, you're looking at it, and we're you're looking at it as something so ugly and so dark that you have a desire for what God says is abominable. God says, lobster, I dislike it. It's yuck. <laughs> so, 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 so. Now, obviously, understand that whatever the lobster represents, it has spiritual meaning, but but also it's the physical lobster. God says, no. God says, but I want you to experience that element, my dislike for the lobster, right? So God says, now, how am I going to teach you that? I'm going to create within you a temptation for the lobster. So you're going to come in that, within the prayer. You're, you're going to meet this particular thing, and what you're going to do is you're going to take You are going to reject it because God said no. And by doing that, you're going to know me. Your body is going to get to know my unknowable me. But how? Through a no, not through a yet. So this fish is a kosher fish, not the fish. This meat is a kosher meat. It's a kosher animal, but it was slaughtered in a non-kosher way. So your relationship with it has to be a no. God will reveal, again, we're not making monkey business over here, God will reveal according to Torah, how, as we spoke earlier, how this is really, from where we derive that this meat is kosher, even though it was, but bottom line, Something that till now was considered not kosher, which means the way you would interact with it would be with the no, meaning to say that what's hidden behind that experience is the deeper part of God that you can't know through. Yeah, you can, because everything is God. There's nowhere where God is not. That's, that's the whole point over here. Every single thing is God. So if you're walking down the street and you're walking through and past a, a, a nightclub and there's all kinds of stuff going on, then you might have a temptation to go in there. And you're saying, "Well, this is so like unholy, ungodly, not kosher for a Jew to go in there," and so on and so forth. If you would really recognize what's going on, as God is just trying to reveal to you His holiness. How does your body going to know God's holiness? You're going to be presented with what's total opposite of god's holiness and by you seeing that and saying no that's not holy and god does not want that then you're then guess what your physical flesh is connecting to hashem's holiness but in our case behind this behind this non-kosher which is the deeper unknowable through a positive identification. Yet now God will say, that very plate that you're pushing away, take it and eat it. Meaning the godliness that's now, that is that the way you're going to connect to that level of the divine that's no, is through a yeah, not through a no. Because that's what Mashiach is doing. He's bringing you access to what is essentially no, which means transcendental essence of God and bringing it down in a way that you could possibly identify it. So that's why it's this law that expresses the concept of all the secrets of Torah that he's going to reveal because that's how the secrets are going to come. It's the secrets of the unknowable yet in a way that we can study it and 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 perceive it in a yet. And that's also the reason why it's going to be the fish that's going to slit the throat of the ox. And it's going to be pertaining to this particular non-kosher, what is considered now non-kosher, which will be kosher. Why this? It could have been, as we said before, it could have been lobster. It could have been shellfish. Could have been pork. Could have been bacon. Could have been many things that are not kosher. Why this? Because everything else in Torah will stay the same. Why this particular case? Because it says that, here's the idea, the fish and the ox, the fish represents a certain type of, in in, um, in the Sefer Lakuti Torah, which is the, the Lubavitch Rebbe's great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, the first Chabad Rebbe, he has a passage where he discusses the concept of this fight between the fish and the, and the ox. And he explains it mystically. He explains that there's two types of, of righteous, of saintly, of tzaddikim, two types of righteous people. The art tzaddikim that are called fish souls and the art tzaddikim that are called um, um, like the ox, animal. They're both righteous. It's a metaphor for different types of souls. He says the art tzaddikim, and he gives an example like Reb Shimon by Yochai, you know, who is the author of the Zohar, who he was a soul from, who resided in the, in the, in the, in the hidden spiritual spheres. That's why he's compared to a fish, because a fish is, is belongs to the hidden aquatic range. You know, what goes on in the ocean is hidden from us, unless you go scuba diving. Generally. There's a whole world beneath the ocean. It's beautiful, it's magnificent, but it's hidden. Most people will never see it unless you watch an IMAX or you go down into the hidden world of these, of these creatures, magnificent creatures. So what does that represent spiritually? It represents people that live in a very, very high level of consciousness and a very high level of connection to God. And he says over there, these tzaddikim were people that they didn't even have to do the physical mitzvot as much, like for they weren't allowed to choose it. If you're alive in a physical body, you have to do all six thirteen commandments. But God orchestrated some of these great righteous people that they should be in a condition where even if they wanted to, they could not do them it. Repshiman Yochai, we know, I had to run away from the Romans, and he was hidden in a in a cave for thirteen years. That's a nice chunk of life. And during those 13 years, the altar, Rebbe says, he did not do the physical mitzvahs. He didn't make Kiddush Friday night because he didn't have a, a Kiddush cup. He didn't have wine. He didn't blow the show for Rosh Hashanah because he didn't have an animal horn. And if he would have gotten these things miraculously, if God would have sent it to him miraculously, it wouldn't even be a mitzvah because a mitzvah needs to be done in a natural way, as we discussed in different places. So, how did Rabbi Shimon Yachai not do all the mitzvah? He's such a tzaddik and 12 like a, you know, for a month. He was for such a long time in a situation where we could not do those mitzvahs. Then the Alter Rebbe explains in that discourse that our souls that are that are beyond their connection to God is so so spiritual, it's so high. They're in a constant state of, 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 of bonding with the infinite. And they, the way they connect is through mystical uni, unifications that they do in their mind. And they're like fish that swim, like they swim into the infinite. Very few souls like that, but there are such souls. There's millions of such souls, but not too many of them inhabit the earth, come down into this world. There are such tzaddikim. Then there are the more grounded righteous people that are more down to earth, and they serve God in the very physical. Their primary service is the service of Torah and mitzvot down here in the grounded physical world. So what are these two dynamics really in truth? One, the fish are the people that connect more to the abstract element of the divine, like we spoke discussed earlier. The elements where you can't do a positive mitzvah to connect, it's more through an abstraction. It's more like being just in the in the infinite ocean. That's the, that's who they are. That's what their reality is. The the the, the land mammals tzaddikim are the people who are doing the mitzvot, which means their connection to God is more with the definitions, as God is defining himself through positive identification markers, if you can say, which are the mitzvot. Each one of these tzaddikim have equality. The down-to-earth tzaddikim are connecting to the divine mitzvot, which are the more graspable side of God, and as a result of that, more, more assimilatable, the fish souls are connecting to a higher level of the divine, but because it's a higher level of the, of the divine, it's less tangible, obviously, and less graspable. So it's they are like lost in the infinite, but it's not such a it's not such an internalization. It's more of a melting away into something bigger than you, as opposed to becoming one with something. When the two animals ki- kill each other, what that really means in it. A slaughter of an animal doesn't mean killing something. According to Torah, the the, the reason when you slaughter an animal, the idea of it, the word shita means to shech. It has a different meaning. It means to the Talmud says to lift up. So when the fish slits the throat of the animal, it means he's elevating these righteous people who were their entire work. They were laboring in this type of labor. Of, the, of these mitzvot, they, the fish will sweep them up into their mystical experience. On the other hand, the mammal, the, the, the ox, will bring the fish down by killing the fish and connecting it to all the, to the other type of service, which is more definable. Each one will pass on to the other one its qualities. So they will become now interwoven and interlocked. And there will be this incredible unity between the two. Comes out that in this marriage, so to speak, between the fish and the, and the ox, is really this whole idea that once the ox is experiencing what the fish is experiencing, but because it's an ox, how is it experiencing it? As we spoke, not in a transcendental way of losing itself in it, but in a way of internalizing it. That's why it's primarily with the fish and the ox that the ox meat is even though the fish is going to elevate the ox to where the fish is. That's the point. It's not going to be in a manner where the meat is not kosher, which means it's going to be elevated to a no. It's still going to remain in a level of a yeah in an identifiable state in which we will be able to then eat that meat and connect to it in a way of far more assimilation and integration because that's the magic of Mashiach. That's the power, the divinity of Mashiach. He makes the impossible possible. Now we'll finally conclude, even though I've packed a lot of information into this class, we'll finally conclude with one more connection. We spoke about that another Element that's gonna happen in the days of Mashiach is that the, the person who killed someone accidentally is gonna have many more cities to run to to protect himself. And I asked the question, who needs, we asked the question, who needs those days? You need extra three cities, refuge, come on, we won't need any cities, there's gonna be much less death, and so on and so forth. So take a look at how how the Torah suddenly becomes so mystical. It becomes so so about God, not about you see how how our fleshy eyes see things so material, so so here, but how it's so much deeper. Let me ask you: in a world before, in a in a in a, in an existence where there is no creation and there is no world yet, what does it mean a murderer, someone who's a what we call a makanefah, someone who killed someone and he's running to a a, a, a city of refuge there is no world there are no murderers there's no evil it doesn't exist yet Like just like we discussed earlier but here zeroing the question particularly over here and this is what it means the one who's murdering someone accidentally in the case if we trace it back to the world of the divine if we trace it all the way, all the way, all the way back to its origins of origins in God, it's a divine concept. It has nothing to do with a person, you know. Not you know. You know it was the story where who's the who's the who's the actor that by mistake shot the this girl. Sadly, this year he fired off the gun accidentally. The, the armor or whatever forgot to take the bullet out, and it was supposed to be. We got already the guy just a few months ago. We had that story. Very tragic. That's not what we're talking about. In in its. Origins of origins. It's, it's frightening what I'm going to say now. The accidental murderer who's killing Makanefesh is, is a feature in God himself. Yes, I'm going to say that again. It's a feature in the divine himself. What is that? We spoke earlier that God has two sides. Chesed means where he is expressing himself. He's flowing outward into existence, into the world, into cre- into creation. Then there is a, 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 a an opposite side of God that says hey God hey where are you going you're higher than all of this so instead of the energy flowing out you're you're beyond you know just be within yourself so the that nuance that mode in God that is saying there's calling for inwardness, the introvertness of God versus the extrovertness, right? We might say, the introvertness is considered on the subtlest of subtlest of levels, makanefesh, why? Makanefesh means a, a murderer, God forbid, why? Let's understand something. Because what is life? Life means a soul going into a body. A soul, when, when you, God forbid, when someone kills someone, Did you murder the soul? You didn't murder the soul. What you did was you took the energy out of the container, out of the body. A person killed someone else. A soul was residing in a body, and now the soul was extracted from the body. The body dies, but the soul goes on living. It's a terrible crime because God wants bodies down and souls in bodies. Now let's look about the cosmic soul of all of creation that's God. God's soul coming into a body means that God flows into the universe. He flows into existence. He flows from non-beingness into beingness. But there is a contrary force that says, No, don't go in, return back into yourself. That's called makanefesh. That's God's introvertness because that's what's above and beyond and outside of existence. That's the mysterious hidden part of God. Now when we take, when we say that this murderer, it's hard to say, this needs to go into the city of refuge, what does that mean? was the Rebbe, only the Rebbe could think of this, this is like crazy. What does it mean he has to go into the city of refuge? The Torah is called the city of refuge. Sages say that when someone is afraid of the Yetzirah, if someone is afraid of the evil inclination, because you're afraid that the, not the evangelization, you're afraid of the, because when a person sins, you cre- a person creates a, a demon, an angel, uh, and that chases after him. You want to protect yourself, immerse yourself in Torah, because Torah is called the city of refuge. So what is the deeper meaning over here? God's private self that doesn't want to reveal itself, which means it's, it's against going into vessels. It's against being known by the world. Is forced to go to exile. Where to? To go into the vessels. That's the whole Mashiach. What are we saying? What's what's Mashiach? Mashiach is going to be revealing the private side of God that that is not descending into containers. It wants to remain within itself and not go down. Is going to be sent into 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 the cities of refuge. If the cities of the refuge means the Torah, it, what that means is that that the most private element of God that wants to remain shy and, 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 and to himself and not reveal, revealed, that too will be revealed, will be, in a sense, forced to reveal itself. When we say forced, forced by God himself to reveal himself. And that's the awesomeness. And that's why that too is where Torah is changing when Mashiach comes. Where we have six and now there's another three because Torah will expand because we will now have an ability in Torah, not just to know the expressive side of God, but to know the non-expressed side of God. So Torah will be adding on three more cities, corresponding to the Chabad, Chachma bin Adas, which will then be a whole new level of Torah, which will allow us to bring the Makenefesh, the element of the divine that is not willing to descend into vessels, and yet that too will come into vessels and be revealed in this world. And that is the new torah of mashiach so there is a lot to look forward to there's incredible incredible exciting days coming meanwhile until we get that new revelation we should gobble up whatever is already was already revealed whatever was already taught because all this knowledge that we study today will be very helpful when we need to gain deeper and higher insight, because we'll be already a couple of steps ahead. We won't have so much catching up to do because God might just say, first, before I give you the new one, you know, I think you got some some, some of the old stuff you didn't learn yet. First cover that, then come back. So We want to be ready, so we shouldn't waste time. We should study as much Torah as we can um, so we can be ready for this awesome, awesome, awesome revelation. We should, uh, and we should Merit all of this in good health very soon. Let's just say today, thank you.